Well, good morning. We've been reading our way and studying our way through the book of Galatians, and uh, Cheryl is going to read to us the last chapter. Thank you, Cheryl. Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone, and not compare himself with someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us, ne- let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me... I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow this standard and mercy even to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you, Cheryl. Let's pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word. We praise you that it speaks across time, generations, cultures. It's a living word of God, inspired. Holy Spirit, would you just bless us as we take some time just looking at this last chapter. Holy Spirit, you know our lives. We are open before you. And you have that way of speaking into our lives in times like this. We thank you for being able to worship together. We thank you for fellowship. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the body of Christ and every member in particular. So bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what has particularly impacted you as we've um, looked at this particular book. It's It's a powerful book. And it really should be studied alongside Romans because there are themes that run through them both in much the same way. 
And there's a lot going on in this chapter. You've got some exhortations here at the beginning of the chapter. And the danger with exhortations is we can look at them as, as tick boxes, as things that we need to tick off to make sure we're doing Christianity right. And that's not what Paul intended at all. And there is a danger in that. Of course, it feeds our sense of self and, and pride. And that's something certainly Paul is not into. But these are directions, they're exhortations about the Christian life. And he addresses us to begin with as brothers and sisters. And it's lovely to be family, isn't it? Uh, there are so many orphans in the world and you know they may have family but they can still be orphans even within a family but God gathers us into his family and he calls us his sons and daughters turn to the person next to you and say do you know that you're a child of God and are you sure that you're that you know you're a child of God good Yes, there's one definite yes in the building. And obviously a few others by the smiles that are going on. But we are sons and daughters of the living God. What a beautiful thing that is. And um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just so amazing, isn't it? And I don't know whether you've ever noticed it, but when you look at Paul's letters, he structures them very often with theology at the beginning and then practical exhortation at the end. And, but in his theology, he's weaving some practical aspects, and in his practical applications, he's also weaving some theology as well. And here he starts off in this chapter with some practical aspects about you know, the nature of Christian life. And I, this, this one has struck me, and I, maybe it applies to someone here this morning, because we... We live in a world that, that wants to cancel you if you don't agree with it. And when it cancels you, it doesn't want to know any more about you. And I want to tell you this morning, God is not into cancel culture. Thank God. He doesn't write us off when we get it wrong, when we say it wrong, when we do it wrong. There is mercy and grace with, with him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. That's great, isn't it? So right there at the beginning, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. It may be that the enemy has... Watch your life. It may be that he sought to trip you up. It may be that you just feel you've blown it. But hear the word of God, because it speaks of love and grace and mercy. God does not counsel you. He says, come, my child. Receive my forgiveness. Receive my cleansing. You know, the, the, it says in the Old Testament, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And though he fall, and let's be honest, we fall from time to time, don't we? And sometimes we fall more frequently we like to. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. It's the enemy who wants to tread you down and wipe you out and cancel you. That is not God. Do you understand me? Do you hear me? And it may be this morning, you need to hear that. You've never really fully heard the father heart of God towards his children which is a welcoming embrace whereby he is more willing to forgive you than you could possibly imagine. More willing to dust you off and say, come on, receive my strength, let's get up and go on again. Amen? We need to remind ourselves of the gospel. Life needs to be grounded in theology. And, you know, in, every, in, in many respects, we're all theologians. We may not realize it, but we are. The question is, is our theology good enough for our life? 
And that's why we have the Word of God to, to help us understand God and life together. Not just God, but life and God, God and life together, so that we can do life well. So it's important that we are all not only uh, know Christ, but we are growing in our knowledge of him, that we are growing in our faith. And that's why the word is important. And the spirit helps us in that. And, you know, I don't know how you approach the scriptures, but, um, yeah, sometimes there are things there that are difficult to get heads around. But he gives the Holy Spirit. And we, we come with open hearts and we read this word. And, and sometimes we just bathe in it and it washes us. We just meditate on it, and it feeds us, and it does us good. Sometimes we study it. We, we go and we look at the arrangement of the words and the passages, and we, we get something of the structure of it in different ways and, we, and the logic of it that comes together. And so we have these practical exhortations here, and you could speak on any one of these verses, and we don't have the time to do that. So I'm going to dive into the last part, where in, from verses 11 to the end, Paul turns again to theology in a very definite way. In fact, he wants to drive home the point that he's been making right from the very beginning of the book. And so in verse 11 there, he talks about these large letters that I use as I, I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression of the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid persecuting, uh, being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They were concerned about protecting themselves. And for even the uncircumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. So there was a sense in which it was a tick box for them if they could get you to go through that. And this is what he says, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. That's a summary of the gospel there, by, by, through whom Christ has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so I, I want to ask you this morning, what do you think of Jesus? We've been singing about him. We've been worshiping him. We've been celebrating him. Can you say this morning, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world? Can you remember that perhaps sometimes we, let, let's be honest, we get a bit tired and worn out, don't we? And we, we forget those days when we encountered Christ and the glory of it filled our hearts and lives. I, I can remember I grew up in a, a very rigid Christian background. And um, God always seems to be a rather distant and majestic being. But when I encountered Christ, when I encountered him in reality for the first time, I couldn't stop singing hymn number 644 in the redemption hymnal. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And Dave will remember those days. And... Uh, we were in the same church together. We're not the same age, though, as you may be aware. He's uh, <laughs> a bit younger. That's right. But I, when I encounter Christ, the joy of knowing him, the joy of possessing him and him possessing me, and we had a piano at home, and, and I come home from work, and I go and sit at the piano, and I, there's only one way I knew how to play the piano, and that was loud. 
And fortunately, we lived in the country, and I would, I would turn to 644, and I would bang it out and sing it out for all was, all was worth. The joy of knowing Jesus, the joy of being reconciled, of being forgiven, of being cleansed, of, of knowing that God was not just a majestic being out there in the distance who created the heavens and the earth, but was a personal God who loved me and gave himself more for me in Jesus. I mean, it's staggering, isn't it? And he loves you as well, and he loves me. Oh, God, it's, this is wonderful, isn't it? And so he says, oh, I'm never going to boast of anything except Jesus, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 15, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean absolutely nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Nothing else matters as far as Paul's concerned. What counts is a new creation, a transformation that has taken place. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know that? Yes. Good. Do you know that? Yes. yes. Yeah, it's a new creation that is the most important thing in the world. For Paul, this was the gospel, not self-improvement or self-annihilation or improving your self-image. You know, we live in a world today that is driven by self-image. But, oh, if you get caught up in that, it's a spiral that drags you down and sucks the life of you out because it's not the way God intended us to be. But a new creation wherein we have died to, to who we were and we've been raised to, to newness of life in Christ, a life that results in Christ being formed in us. I want to say this morning there's a difference between Christ being formed in you and you trying to be like Jesus. Because when you try to be like Jesus, you get all religious. And you start relying on performance and you start doing stuff in that way. You take the exhortations in that way and, you, and then you wonder where all your joy has gone. You wonder where it has gone. I know because I've been around a few years, I've lived a bit and I've known something of the ups and downs of Christian life. My, my personality is performance oriented and I can easily fall into that. A life that results in Christ being formed in us. And that's all about relationship. It's all about knowing this God and his love for us and, and Jesus as Savior and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is able to say in Galatians 2 verse 20, it's, it's no longer I who live, I, I'm not living, but it's Christ who lives in me. But then he says, and the life that I now live, so he is living, but it's a different kind of life, the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. That's crucial, that verse is. That's absolutely crucial. You see, we were in the flesh. We were in old Adam, but now we are in Christ. Our history has changed. You know, the devil very often wants to, you to see yourself through your history. And that history may not be good. It may be very bad. But if you are in Christ, that is no longer your history, because your history is him. 
And he came where the first Adam fell, as we've already heard. Where the first Adam fell, the second Adam comes, and he's made completely in the likeness of our flesh. He's tempted in all points, like as we are. He lives a perfect life. He lives out this life that we should have lived. He, he lives it out perfectly, and then he goes to a cross, and he takes our sin, all that separates us from God. He takes all of that, and he takes it into himself, and he bears it upon the cross for us. The death of old Adam. Hallelujah. And he rises to new life. And that's why Paul says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we no longer think of Christ according to the flesh. Because if you think of Christ according to the flesh, you're, you're thinking of him prior to the cross, the unfinished work. Paul says we don't think of Jesus like that, though we used to at one time. But this is how we think of him now in his resurrection life, his ascension life, and what he's done and what that means for us. That's staggering, isn't it? Your history, turn to the person next to you and say, did you know your history has been changed? Did you know you're a new creation in Christ? <laughs> uh, wow, I mean, we were in the flesh in old Adam. Now we're in Christ. Our history's changed. Not only that, he has called us into his family where there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male and female. Oh, that's wonderful, isn't it? We, we, we're not orphans anymore. We belong to him, but he's put us in a family. And that family is so important to us because through the family, we reflect the heart of God to one another. We speak the words of God to one another. We bring encouragement into one another's lives. We, we pray for one another. We lift one another up. We weep with those who we weep. Who we, we rejoice with those who rejoice. Wow. You know, the family is essential to your growth in Christ. Absolutely essential. Live in a world which says you can do it on your own. You can't. You can't be a Christian effectively on your own. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need fellowship. You need all that that fellowship brings. The Galatians had lost sight of, of Jesus and the gospel. They got into works and, and, and become anything but a true demonstration of the gospel and what Christianity was all about. So much so that Paul wants to know who has bewitched you, as we've heard in Galatians chapter 3. I mean, that's a, that's a staggering thing to say, isn't it? You've been bewitched. Someone's put a spell on you. Who did that? He says, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. In other words, when the gospel was presented to you, Jesus was presented to you in all that he did who he was and what he had done. Everything was absolutely clear. Who has bewitched you? And Paul begins his book with his grave concern and in answer to them and his accusers, he affirms his apostleship, the gospel he preaches and how we are not justified by works of the law, but by faith alone. And we're going to say again, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's hear it together. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Turn around and tell somebody else that. <laughs> and that's great, isn't it? I don't know whether you remember the illustration that I gave of a, a person who 
who's in debt by millions and could never pay it off with, with the slightest penny, and, and someone you know, comes along and, and pays their debt, and that's great, isn't it? And that's like our account with God. You know, we're in debt, and Jesus comes and pays it. But, you know, I would always be worried. Yeah, because if, if, that's, that's, if, you've been, if you've had your debt paid off, I'd be worried about falling back into debt again. But Jesus not only pays our debt, he fills up our account with his righteousness. So that we are clothed in righteousness divine. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, does it? Because you know yourself, don't you? And other people know you. But God knows you. And he says, you are my child. You are my beloved. And I have clothed you with righteousness divine. Isn't that staggering? You can walk in this world with your head held high. It's the enemy who wants to bow our heads and sap our spirits. Jesus plus nothing truly equals everything. It's a gospel. Listen to this. And this is what struck me so much as I was reading and preparing and praying and studying this for this. It's a gospel that means that God is happy to be with you. Well, you don't feel excited about that one. It means that God is happy to be with you, and we can be happy being with him. You're not, some are not too convinced this morning, but it's true. God no longer looks at, the way, looks at you the way he used to. And this is, as I was preparing, this is what struck me. And I can't go into all the experience of my past, but... I found it incredibly moving to, to think of God's face smiling on me. Too often we walk around with the sense that God is frowning on us. You know? It's like maybe some of us have had fathers who were hard on us. And we were always, never quite sure how we stood with them. And for some of us, it can be like that in our Christian life. We're never quite sure how we stand with God. And we feel that God perhaps is, is frowning at us. That he doesn't really sort of like us, maybe. And that he's got that kind of look. You know, there are several instances in Scripture about the presence of God that have to do with the face of God. And, you know, it's good to be a third, have that affirmation that God is present to us, but having the affirmation that God's face is on me. And not only that, there's joy in that face. Do you know what it's like when somebody looks at you with delight? Yeah? You know, you sometimes do that with kids, don't you? You look in their faces. And I was out somewhere the other day recently and, and just looked across where we were eating and this little child looked at me. And then they just suddenly beamed, you know? I tell you what, that's what God does, isn't it? I wonder whether there are those here this morning who've lost their sense of joy because they feel that God is constantly frowning on them, you know? The joy of the Lord, brothers and sisters, is our strength. And if we lose that joy, we are depleted. And maybe there's some this morning who, who God wants to renew in joy. It may be that there are some this morning who, who just need to pause and, and see God looking at them. 
And you say, I, you say, I can be with someone, but I can be side by side. You know, don't know what they're thinking. You know, but this is like God showing us his face. And it's beautiful. And it's God looks on us, not just with love, but with joy. You're my child. You're my child. I love you. I delight in you. Staggering, isn't it? Such joy and happiness removes any apprehension or fear at being with him. A gospel that is performance-based, rule-oriented, religious, rather than relational, robs us of joy. Destroys the bond of relationship, and it deprives us of the energy to live for God. It is so sapping. Let me ask you this this morning. Are you a Romans 7 Christian? Yeah. Some of you may be familiar with that passage. Romans 7, last part of it, 14 and towards the end. The good that I do, the good that I would I do not, and the bad I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. Who will, oh, what a wretched man I am or woman I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus will, that's true. But there are so many people who believe that that is a Christian. So many, and it's so wrong. And that's why Paul spends time in his letters dealing with the fact that the law is good, but is no good for saving us or sanctifying us. That God has given us his spirit that we might walk in newness of life. Hallelujah. I lived in Romans 7 as a Christian. You know, it's, it's a cozy pillow to put your head on. But if Paul thought like that, you know, the Christian life was really hard and miserable at times, you know. And, you know, deli- who will deliver me from this body of death? What a wretched man I am. If Paul thought like that, then, well, I mean, he's up there somewhere, isn't he? And uh, then surely I've got every reason to think the same. So it provides us an excuse. And, you know, if we give power to the flesh, it will have power over us. This is why theology is important, why under the scriptures is important. And so there are many who live in Romans chapter 7 when they should be living in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Yes. It's good, isn't it? It's good. Kind of, I'd really like to get a bit excited at the moment, but I feel that time's run out and we need to sort of just watch that. But <laughs> yeah, I'm preaching myself happy. I hope you're listening happy as well, you know? Because at the end of the day, this is what it's all about. God is the giver of joy. The enemy is the robber of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And the gospel restores God's joy to our hearts and lives. Yes, in a confusing world, in difficult situations, in trials and tribulations. That's what James is about. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. I've gone off. <laughs> Let's stand, shall we? There's so much that we could say there. 
I could talk for another hour, but I won't. <laughs> You've got children to pick up and dinners to have and so on, another meeting to come. But I hope you get something of a sense of what God is saying there. The most important thing is a new creation. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You can in this moment before you go out of this building. It doesn't have to be a big religious thing. Just to acknowledge, God, I've sinned. I've fallen short of your glory. I now see that Jesus died for me and he paid the price for my sins. And I come to you and I, I put my trust in him. I receive your mercy and your grace. It may be this morning that the enemy has tripped you up, you've fallen, and um, you feel the enemy is, is just saying, that's it, God's done with you. My friend, some kind of friend he is, isn't he? But I want to say to you this morning, God is the giver of the second chance and the third chance. In fact, chance is the wrong word. He is continually the one who wants to restore our souls. He will never cancel you. If you feel cancelled in any way, I want to encourage you this morning to turn to Christ. See his glory afresh in the gospel. Receive forgiveness, receive the cleansing that he brings in these moments. If you're orphaned in your spirit, I just want you to, to know that the Holy Spirit wants to just make it clear to you that you are his child. And you can, yeah, even now begin to just say, Abba, Father, in defiance of the enemy. Abba, Father, God, you're my Father. And to recognize the body of Christ, he's put you in a family for your good. Oh, Holy Spirit, we want Christ to be formed in us. We want the glory of the gospel to saturate our lives so that that can be the case. Save us from dead religion. Save us from performance. Help us to live in relationship. Lord God, I pray for any this morning who are dry, who lack joy, that you would fill them up. I pray that they'd see your smiling face upon them. And as we look at the smiling face of a child and we beam and response, Lord, that they would see your smiling face and there would be that beam of response in their hearts and on their faces, Lord, the joy of knowing you. Oh, fill us up, Lord.